Hello and welcome to the Forge Church Catch-Up Podcast. 2019 is running away and Easter is upon us. Today we have M. Hannah kicking off our brand new series where we look at three of the days that led up to that first Easter Sunday. We'll see Jesus deserted by his friends, crucified by his enemies and brought back to life by his father. Here's what M. had to say. Um, as Steve said, we're kickstarting this new series called Three Days. It's a chance for us to look at this Easter story, to kind of think about it and perhaps with a new way, with fresh eyes, as we think about it from the perspective of the disciples who were there and living it and experiencing it live. It's a series where we're going to be taking a look at actually what God, what Jesus has done to win our hearts. But before we get into that, I just wanted to do a little bit of a poll about what Easter look looks like for each of us here. So hands up if you, at some stage over this Easter period, are going to be involved in an Easter egg hunt. Okay, some of us have kids, maybe you have grandkids, Easter egg hunts. How many of us will have hot cross buns on Good Friday? Okay, quite a few of us. For me, hot cross buns are not a seasonal thing. They are an all-year-round consumed item. How about on Easter Sunday, roast lamb? Apologies if you're a vegan or a vegetarian here. Anybody have roast lamb? Yeah, yeah, a few of us. A few oldies but goodies. Did anybody ever used to decorate eggs when they were a kid? Yeah, you used to roll them. Apparently in Scotland they rolled them down hills. Um, but also Easter bonnets. I saw a little girl at a group I go to recently and she brought her Easter bonnet and I was like, oh, yeah, I've forgotten you used to do those things. Well, whatever it is, let's face it, Easter is a time, perhaps not as big as Christmas is in our own minds, but a time when we come together and we celebrate and we have our traditions But are these things really what Easter is all about? Because actually what we're going to be doing over these next few days in the three-day series, we're going to be taking a look at really what's at the heart of Easter. And I think today's um, instalment, the first day, is the very crux of what Easter is all about. It is the true start of Easter for each of us. Because the question that I want us each to consider this morning is, what if the problem with me... What if the problem with you, with us, is bigger than we ever imagined, but that our value is greater than we ever dreamed possible? On each of your seats as you came in, hopefully you found a piece of paper and a pen. I want you to get that piece of paper because we're going to use those now at this point in the service. And the thing I want you to write on your piece of paper, there are going to be two things. The first thing I want you to write on your piece of paper is something that you are proud of about yourself. Okay, so it could be how you look, something you like about yourself. It could be an achievement that you've made. It could be a characteristic. It could be the fact that you've perhaps shown courage in something. You've overcome a fear that you've had. Maybe you've helped somebody else out recently. Maybe, going back to last week's talk on Mother's Day, it's maybe something to do with people that you've raised or are raising, and that's what you're proud of. But write it down on your piece of paper. What is it that you are proud of? Okay? Okay, once you've written that thing or thought about that thing... Think about it. Look at what you've written down. How does it make you feel? I'd hazard a guess that it would make you smile. Um, It makes you feel happy. It gives you a sense of well-being. Um, And it makes you feel positive. It's a rewarding thing that you have written down there. And as part of that, we want to celebrate that and share that with each other. And so that's what I want you to do. I want you to turn to the person next to you, and I want you to tell them the thing that you've written on your piece of paper. Okay? I can hear laughter, which means some of you might find what you've written a little bit like silly or embarrassing. 
Okay. Now I'm aware, I am aware that most of us in this room are British and this one is a tough one to do. Sometimes being able to share what you're pleased about yourself is tough. So maybe for some of us, this one is going to be easier. Okay, so the second thing I want you to write on your piece of paper, I want you to write down the thing that you are most ashamed of about yourself. Now before you do what I would do, which is, oh my goodness, you just made us share that one, so now I've got to think of something I'm ashamed of, but it's not so bad that I can actually tell the person next to me, this one is not one that you're going to have to share, okay? This is one that is just for your eyes only, and so I want you to be really real with this one. If you're worried someone else is going to see it, you can write it in code, you can write initials, whatever it is, but write down something that you are really ashamed of in your life, okay? Okay, some of you are still writing, but when we think about that thing, when we look at that thing, it provokes a very different response in us, doesn't it? We maybe feel, we feel ashamed of it. Um, we might feel fearful that other people might see it or fearful of our own capabilities within that. Maybe we feel lonely or isolated or guilty because of the thing that we've written on our piece of paper. See, two things that are equally true about you but which provoke two very different emotional responses. The first makes us feel elated. It makes us feel part of something. It makes it something that we feel we can connect with other people on. The first thing is something that we think qualifies us. It qualifies us in the eyes of other people and in our own eyes. But the second, the second is something that we think disqualifies us. It makes us feel wrong or bad or dirty or ashamed. And we want to hide it and disguise it. And if you're like me, then you want to fold your piece of paper really small and tuck it really deep into your pocket in the case that you might accidentally leave it behind on your chair at the end of the service. Because if people really knew what you wrote on your piece of paper, then they would think a little bit less of you. They might not want to be your friend so much. Or they'd certainly know that sometimes, sometimes in life, you are just holding on by a thread. So what we do is we celebrate and we talk about the first things on our piece of paper, but we hide the second, pretending that they don't exist and trying to desperately believe that maybe, possibly, we can be changed from them, but ultimately thinking that those things define us. See, one qualifies us and we think gives us a sense of value because of what other people think of it, but the other one we think disqualifies us and dictates in our mind what we truly think about ourselves and what we truly believe our value is beneath it all. But what if the problem with me is bigger than I ever imagined, but, the, but my value is greater than I ever dreamed possible? What if the thing that actually you're ashamed of is actually the starting place for something amazing, something transformative in your life, where what's written on the piece of paper actually no longer has to have the same hold over you, the same sense of shame, but actually it could be the starting place for you understanding truly how loved and valued you are. You see, I think underneath it all, and our experiences in life and in relationships, they've taught us that love and acceptance comes based on what we do. I'm guilty of this as a parent. I've recently said to my child several times, you do realize that people won't like you or want to play with you if you behave in this way. And what we start to do is we start to think, if I behave in a good way, then I'm lovable. But if I behave in a bad way, if I'm angry or hurt or lying or deceitful 
or jealous or greedy, then I'm not lovable. And what we do is we translate that same system and understanding to our understanding of God. And we think God loves us based on the first thing that we wrote on our piece of paper. That actually, that that's what he's proud of about us. But actually the other thing on our piece of paper is the thing that disqualifies us from his love, from his sense of worthiness and his sense of wanting a relationship with us. That that disqualifies us in our mind. We believe, whether we actually say it or not, we believe that God's love for us is based on what we do and on who we are. But it has never been about what we do or who we are because we have to understand we never qualified on that basis in the first place. It has always been entirely about who he is and what he does. You see, today we're taking a look at 12 men. Um, 12 men who will have held the greatest sense of shame in their life, the, in their life, the greatest sense of disqualification from faith, from life, from their relationship with Jesus and from their relationship with each other. Because today we're taking a look at this idea of the desertion. It's the start of the Easter stories. So I want you to imagine it. I imagine that you meet a man and he is an incredible man, okay? He shows you the most amazing things about life and about how to live. He trusts you and empowers you to change the world. You do miracles because of him and you see lives changed, He shows you things about yourself and about God and about how this world works. And he inspires you to be a better version of yourself. That is a man to follow. That is a man that we want to commit our lives to following and being in relationship with. And that's what these 12 men had done. They had given three years of their lives committed to following Jesus, who offered them this life experience. But where we pick up the Easter story here, that's not the kind of following and dedication that we find. In fact, we find ourselves in a plot thicker than the current series of Line of Duty. See, Jesus has just had his last meal with his disciples. And he knows what's about to happen. He knows he's about to be arrested. He knows he's about to go to a cross and to die the most gruesome death. And so what he wants to do is he goes to the Garden of Gethsemane with his disciples and he prays. And the Jesus that we see in the Garden of Gethsemane appears to be a very broken man because he is praying and kneeling down to God and he is pleading with him. He's saying, if there is any other way, God, then please, please let there be another way. And yet, ultimately, he knows that this is the only way and he submits. And just when you'd expect his loving disciples, the people who have committed their lives to following him, to be rallying around him, to be saying to him, We're with you in this. We're praying with you. We're standing with you. They might not know he's about to go and die, but they certainly know that he's in a dangerous situation. You'd expect them to be there rallying around him. And yet, what are they doing? They're sleeping. They've fallen asleep in the Garden of Gethsemane. And one of them is actually now coming to really twist the knife in. Because here comes Judas. And he's walking towards him with a crowd of people who are armed and ready for a fight because they want to take Jesus to the Jewish authorities and they are going to kill him. And why is Judas doing this? Money. So it picks up in Matthew 26. While he was still speaking, Judas, one of the twelve, arrived and with him was a large crowd armed with swords and clubs sent from the chief priests and the elders of the people. Now the betrayer had arranged a signal with them. The one I kiss is the man. Arrest him. Going at once to Jesus, Judas said, Greetings, Rabbi, and he kissed him. 
Now, I don't know if you've ever been betrayed by a friend or a family member or even perhaps by your spouse, but the pain of realising that they have decided to put their own interests in front of your interests or, in fact, irrespective of what doing that would mean to you, it hurts, doesn't it, when you feel betrayed and it utterly breaks relationship. And here is Judas doing exactly that, but worse. Because he's leading a rabble to come and arrest Jesus. Jesus, King of Kings, Lord of Lords. Jesus, creator of the universe. But also Jesus, his friend, his rabbi, his confidant. And he's marking it with a kiss. A sign of true intimacy and friendship. So what's Jesus' response to that betrayal? Well, he says, Jesus replied, Do what you came for, friend. Then the men stepped forward, seized Jesus, and arrested him. Now, I don't think ever in the Bible there is a hint of Jesus being sarcastic or insincere in the things that he says. So when he calls the man who has just betrayed him with a kiss, when he calls him friend, he is showing us the kind of love that he offers to us, the kind of value that he places on us as individuals, but the kind of value that he places on maintaining a relationship with us. Corrie ten Boom is a lady who saw her father and her sister and various members of her family killed under the hands of the Nazis in the Second World War. And she writes this, There is no pit so deep that God's love is not deeper still. And don't we see that here? That the very man that is sending him to die in the most horrific death is called friend. Now, I don't know what you wrote on your piece of paper, but whatever it is that you feel disqualifies you in the eyes of other people, it does not disqualify you from the love of God. Because if the man who sealed Jesus' fate with a kiss could still be called friend, Jesus offers the same to you. There is no pit so deep that God's love is not deeper still. See, Jesus is not surprised by our mess-ups and our failings and the times that we get it wrong, the times when we betray him and others and we seem to screw up our lives. He knows what we're going to do. He knows the mistakes that we're going to make. And he loves us in spite of those things. You see, we scroll back a little bit in the story when they're eating their meal around a table and Jesus talks to his disciples and he tells them what's going to happen. On the screen, in a minute, you're going to see, he tells Judas that he knows that Judas is about to go and betray him. But it isn't just Judas that is involved in this desertion because he also knows that the other disciples are going to struggle when they see Jesus arrested because he says this, Then Jesus told them, this very night you will all fall away on account of me. For it is written, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep of the flock will be scattered. But after I've risen, I will go ahead of you into Galilee. Peter replied, even if all fall away on account of you, I never will. Truly, I tell you, Jesus answered, this very night before the rooster crows, you will disown me three times. But Peter declared, even if I have to die with you, I will never disown you. And all the other disciples said the same. You see, faced with the reality of Jesus' arrest, Jesus knew what they were going to do. He knew that fear would overtake them and that as loyal as they were, as much as they declared their loyalty and their love to him, that actually when they faced that fear, that they would run. 
And don't we do the same? Don't we run away when we feel frightened and afraid, when life feels overwhelming, when the thing that we've written on our piece of paper feels like it's controlling us, when that's the thing that we just repetitively seem to be doing and we can't seem to break that habit? Don't we run away from God when actually we'd love to see him work powerfully in our lives and we're in a life circumstance and it doesn't seem to be changing and we don't feel like Jesus is close and actually we don't seem to experience that power and authority that he promises. Don't we all run away, turn our backs and decide to desert? We run and hide from God in a various myriad of different ways. Some of them may be really big, but often, if I'm really honest, I think it's in the small things. If I look at my life day to day, often I desert God in tiny little ways, in the things that I choose to do or say or don't do or say. And we're just like the disciples here, each in our own way, in our own reasons, deserting and walking away in moments in our lives, forks in the road, choices that we have to face. And we choose for us and not for him. It might not be as big and as obvious as what we're talking about today, but in small ways we each do it. And I think the biggest lie that we tell ourselves is that we forget that we do it. And we focus on the first thing on our piece of paper and we feel proud of ourselves and we think we're doing okay. And yeah, we are doing okay, but we've forgotten or we're hiding the second part of our piece of paper. And very soon that part of us raises its ugly head and we feel our shame again. And we think, oh man, maybe I'm not such a great person. Maybe I don't deserve this after all. But what if the problem with us is bigger than we ever imagined? But by realising that and being willing to admit that, we can truly come to see and understand how great the value is that we have, that it's greater than we ever dreamed possible. Because this, this right here, this is the start of the Easter story. And what it shows us at its core is no matter what you've written on your piece of paper, no matter what you go on to do in life, the worst things that you could ever do, it's still not enough to separate you from the love of God. Romans 8 says this, For I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. If none of those things can separate you, can separate us from the love of God, then sure as heck what you've written on your piece of paper can't. You see, you aren't disqualified because you never qualified in the first place on the basis of what you do. We have to realise that our best efforts are still a poor and shabby effort in relation to the standard that God holds us to. But that is okay because actually he knows we can't do it without him and he steps into our mess-ups and he makes us better. He transforms them. Because Romans 5 says this, You see, at just the right time, when we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous person, though for a good person, someone might possibly dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. See, we get wrapped up in this idea that our value is based on the first things that we wrote on our piece of paper. But God says, no, your value is so much deeper than that. 
Your value, the yardstick to measure who you are and your value in this world, has nothing to do with what you do and everything to do with who he is and the love that he gives to you. See, God's love for you is so immense that he was willing to die for you when you are messed up and broken, when you were in your worst state. He loved you enough to die for you. Nothing can separate you from that love. And we don't need to find things in ourselves to make us feel worthy or better or worth something in somebody else's mind or in our own eyes because we get to take our confidence from the fact that God loves us. It's his love that he has for us. And that's the kind of love that he shows us here. One of the greatest examples of this, I think, that we see in the Easter story is the story of Peter, the man who was very wild and would make great declarations and who declared, even if all fall away on account of you, I never will. And yet Jesus told him, you will. You'll deny me three times before the cockerel crows. And he was right. Because in Matthew 26, it says this. Those who had arrested Jesus took him to Caiaphas, the high priest, where the teachers of the law and the elders had assembled But Peter followed him at a distance, right up to the courtyard of the high priest. He entered and sat down with the guards to see the outcome. Now Peter was sitting out in the courtyard, and a servant girl came to him. You also were with Jesus of Galilee, she said. But he denied it before them all. I don't know what you're talking about, he said. Then he went out to the gateway, where another servant girl saw him and said to the people there, This fellow was with Jesus of Nazareth. He denied it again with an oath. I don't know the man. After a little while, those standing there went to Peter and said, Surely you are one of them. Your accent gives you away. Then he began to call down curses and he swore to them, I don't know the man. Immediately, a rooster crowed. And then Peter remembered the word that Jesus had said, Before the rooster crows, you will disown me three times. And he went outside and he wept bitterly. I don't know, maybe, can you relate? You never thought it would be you. You didn't think it possible, and yet here you are. You're stuck in something that actually you never wanted to be in. You're stuck in a behavior that you didn't ever want to do. And you feel like you've deliberately stepped away from God and what he wants for you. You've deliberately stepped away from um, the ways that he wants you to act, the things that he wants you to say, the way that he wants you to love others, and you don't live your life like that. Or maybe for some of you, actually, you're just deliberately refusing to let him in. You're keeping him at arm's length at the moment for whatever reason. And you're standing like Peter did three days later with a choice to face. Do you continue to pretend everything's okay, to put on the front and carry that shame, that hidden shame inside? And it will rear its head and make you feel bad again. Or when you encounter Jesus, are you willing to come and let him transform you? Grace is God's unmerited favor for us, his crazy love. And the truth is, many times we struggle understanding it. If you find yourself struggling to understand God's grace, don't beat yourself up. Even the disciples struggled with understanding grace. Jesus said you, you're alive. I can't believe you're alive. Okay, I was in the boat and I wasn't catching any fish, okay? But I heard this voice and the voice said, cast your net to the other side. And so I'm thinking, I'm a fisherman. I know what I'm doing, but I'm not catching any fish, you know? And so I throw that net over there and then a gaggle of fish pop into that net. And I'm going, this is a total miracle. Who could have done that? I need to know who told me to throw the net to the other side. And boom, I look up and I mean, there is you. You're looking at me on the seashore going, it is I, the Lord. It's you're alive. I can't believe you're alive. This is awesome. Andrew, get out of the boat. Come on. Peter, yeah. Do you love me? Yes, I love you. I love you. You're alive. This is so great. Good. Then feed my sheep. Andrew, get out of the boat. Come on, man. It's him. Peter. Yeah. 
Do you love me? I love you, yes. And I'm so sorry about that rooster cluck, and I had no idea what that meant, but I do now. I'm better for it, all right? Okay. Then feed my sheep. Andrew, I'm smiling, but I'm serious. Come on, get out of the boat. It's him. Peter. Yeah. Do you love me? Jesus, mere words cannot describe the passion that I have for you. I love you. You know everything. I love you. Good. Good. Then feed my sheep. I didn't even know you had livestock. That is so like you, though. There's something new about you all the time. That's what I love about you. Peter. Yeah. Do you remember uh, the morning the ladies went to the tomb? Yeah, 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 yeah. We're all in the upper room trying to figure out what to do next, you know, because we thought you were dead. You know, you were dead, you know, and we're trying to figure all that out, you know. And Mary comes running up, and Mary's like saying, beehive, beehive, beehive. And I'm thinking, I'm allergic to bees. Like, keep them out. You know what I'm saying? But as she kept getting closer, I heard her correctly. She was saying, he's alive, he's alive, he's alive. And we're going, who's alive, who's alive? And she said, she was at the tomb, and the tomb was empty. And she said that the, there was an angel there. And the angel said, go tell the disciples and Peter that everything is okay, he is risen. And so me and John, we hightailed it down there. And if John says he beat me, he's totally lying, all right? I beat him, FYI, all right, you know? And we get down there, and I'm looking in that tomb, and it is, it is empty. There's nothing in there, you know what I'm saying? And I'm like, what does this mean? What does this mean? And John is right there. John is so good with words. He should write a book. He is so good with words. And John said, don't you get it, Peter? This is everything Jesus said he was going to do. And you did it, and it's done. Let's go. This is so great. Wait, yeah. the angel said what? Uh, go tell the disciples and Peter that everything is okay. He is risen. You've risen. Let's go. This he is said what? Go tell the disciples and Peter. You said my name. Why did you say my name? Peter, that's grace. No, no, I don't, I don't deserve that because that night people kept coming up to me asking me if I belonged to you, if I was with you, and I kept denying you left and right, all right? No, it'll take me my whole life to make up for what I did. It was unforgivable for no, what I did. No, What I did on the cross was meant to take what is unforgivable and make it forgivable. That's my grace. It's not about you. It's always about me. That's grace, Peter. It's not about us and what we do or don't do. It's always about him and what he does do. But don't we behave just like Peter does in that video? We pretend it's okay. We kind of share it a little bit with Jesus, but actually we don't really get to the core of our sense of shame about something. And we don't let him touch our lives in those places because we're ashamed of them. There are two people in this story today that betrayed Jesus and who deserted him. Judas, who betrayed Jesus with a kiss, and Peter, who denied Jesus three times. Both of them knew Jesus, had followed him for three years and knew what he stood for and who he was. And yet, two different responses. Judas being utterly overwhelmed by his shame and being unable to really grasp who Jesus was and everything that he had to offer. Judas, in his shame, hung himself on a tree. But Peter, when he saw the gift of love and grace and forgiveness and transformation, Peter stepped into that. Both deserted and both betrayed, but two very different responses. See, when Jesus offered Peter the chance to be forgiven and to be transformed, when he said to him, 
Peter, do you love me? Then feed my sheep. What he's doing, he's giving Peter a chance to be transformed, to be changed. You see, this right here is the start of Easter. It is the start of this awesome, life-changing, incredibly powerful gift of grace and love and forgiveness and restoration. But it starts with being able to acknowledge what is written on your piece of paper. I've been watching a program recently called The Americans. Now, The Americans has absolutely nothing to do with Easter or God, so don't feel like it's going to be something to watch. But one of the characters said this this week, and I thought, this is really good. said, if they can keep you afraid and ashamed, then they can keep you silent. And if they can keep you silent, then they can control you. Your shame and your mistakes and your weaknesses, they will control you if you remain silent, ashamed, and afraid. But if you share them with God, if you let him and the power of his death and life-giving resurrection touch those areas of your life, then you will be changed. You will know that you are loved beyond measure. No matter if you make mistake upon mistake upon mistake, no matter if you feel worthless, no matter if anyone else tells you you're worthless, you have immense value because the God who created this world, the God that is powerful beyond measure, he loves you. And if he can change Peter from a scared man who denied him three times and ran away to a man who was willing to change the world, who went around the world and told people about his amazing friend and Lord, a man who was willing to die on a cross upside down so that he could show people who Jesus was, he can change you from whatever it is on your piece of paper into the person that you would love to be. Do not let what is on your piece of paper hold you back from meeting with Jesus this Easter because you will find that it is the very heart of Easter. It is the very core of it because it is about love and grace and forgiveness and amazing power of transformation, but only if we are willing to come to him and to give it to him. So I want to give us a chance to do that here this morning. I don't know what's on your piece of paper, only know, you know that. And you might be sitting there thinking, you know what, this is going to be so embarrassing. She's going to ask us to stand in a minute. And yes, I am going to ask you to stand in a minute. But just think, for Peter, what it must have been like to go and hang out with the disciples, to see Jesus face to face, knowing that he had said, I don't even know you. Three times he'd said that. It would have felt embarrassing. But what is really important is that we do this, that we engage with him, that we say to him, I want you to take this broken part of my life, this ashamed part of my life, and I want you to make it better. So if you feel like that's you today, if you feel like what's written on your piece of paper, you no longer want to control you or to own you or to tell you that that's your value, then I'd like to invite you to stand. And I want to pray for you that actually that we would be forgiven, that we would know grace and love. So if that is you, then I would like you to stand with me this morning because I know I don't want to be the thing that I've written on my piece of paper anymore. Thank you. Lord, I thank you that... When you look at us, you see us in our entirety. We don't have to hide from you. We don't have to hide the things that we are ashamed of or the broken bits of our lives. 
thank you that you love us and you loved us so much that you were willing to die for us on the cross that you take the rubbish bits of my life and these people's lives and you make them better because you are a God who wants to transform and you want to bring light into dark places and you want to make us into the people that you created us to be so Lord as we stand here we stand here and we tell you that the thing that we've written the things that we are deeply ashamed of in our life we bring them to you and we ask you to forgive us and we ask you to change us because we don't want to be those people anymore and Lord help us to know your love in a new way, to know that you surround us, that you give us the biggest cuddle, but more than that, you call us friend and that you will confide in us, you have adventure for us, you have life for us because you call us friend. So Lord, I thank you for that today. I thank you for your forgiveness and your grace and your love and I just pray your power would come in us and transform us. Amen. Thanks so much for joining this week. If you haven't already, why don't you think about recommending this podcast to a friend? You never know who might need to hear this message. We'll see you next week.